You're listening to the Union Church Podcast. For more information about Union, please visit unionboston.org. No one steps into the wilderness for fun. One enters the wilderness to be forever changed. The person who enters the wilderness is not the same person who leaves. Cruel authorities and systems force humans into refuge, fleeing from widespread abuse. One enters the space of wilderness. One must remember that there is no safety. When one enters a space of wilderness, there is no guarantee that one will find water. There is no guarantee that one will find food. But a community flees into wilderness because the hope for food and the hope for water and the hope for a better life is better than the abuse and death that ensnares them. The space of wilderness is ultimately foreign and alienating. As we think about Isaiah's encouragement to those in exile, let us move back to a time in the biblical narrative in which a journey into the wilderness is about to begin. In Exodus 5, the key figures that you need to know are Pharaoh, the Egyptian taskmasters, and the brick-producing Hebrew slaves. Backstory, Moses asks Pharaoh, hey, can we go into the wilderness to go worship our God? Pharaoh says, no. Actually, we need you to start producing more bricks. And there's only one theme, theme that's present in the text in Exodus 5. Produce bricks. Wake up, bricks. Make your breakfast, bricks. Lunch, yeah, bricks. Afternoon break because you're tired, make more bricks. Dinner, bricks. In your sleep, you're making bricks. And when you're dreaming, you're also making bricks. Dreams that sound more like nightmares. Breathe, bricks. Breathe again, make another brick. Oh, you're out of breath because you're tired from how much you're working? Make another brick. When you're done making bricks with straw, as the text says, go get more straw and make more bricks to meet the daily quota, as if you still had the surplus of straw. Exodus 5 is bricks, bricks, bricks. Pharaoh demands of the Hebrew slaves to make brick building the entirety of their existence. And the purpose of bricks? To build temples and storehouses for grain and food. See, Union, it is easy to dress up abusive productivity as good economics. If one is able to store and consume food, then the community will not go hungry. Yet in the eyes of Pharaoh, it's not so the community will not go hungry. It's about the coercion to be bigger and the coercion to be better. On a similar note, it's about the coercion for second graders to get ready for the SATs in order to qualify for the Ivy Leagues. It's about the coercion for sales reps to meet unachievable sales goals and treat their clients not as people but as objects. It's about the coercion for someone to say, your work is not good enough. And you need to keep on doing more and more and more to satisfy some system that you never agreed to. Truly suffocating. In the imagination of Pharaoh, we are to consume and collect as much as we can in an effort to protect ourselves from the future. In the eyes of Exodus 5, there is no future if one is continually building bricks. The brick builder is trapped into a narrative in which their only worth is in how much they are able to produce for someone else. But as we know, Union, thankfully the story does not end there. The rupture of God's holiness into the world radically changes the cosmic order. 
Moses on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai in the wilderness, encounters a burning bush that forever alters the relationship between divine and humanity. As God states to Moses in the wilderness on top of a mountain, I have observed your misery. A slave camp in Egypt is now noticed by heaven. As God says, I have heard the cry on the account of the taskmasters. This heaven, this heaven that God represents, this heaven has ears. When God says, I know the suffering, there is a God filled with the attentiveness to the frail and fractured qualities of human life. The event of the encounter with God on Mount Sinai is not a phenomenon, it's not a vision, but it's an encounter that truly summons an alternative reality. It isn't meant to be a flashy light show on top of a mountain. It's God's holiness radically engaging with creation. The burning bush is not problematic because it's simply a religious phenomenon. It's problematic because it creates a clash with Pharaoh. And dare I say, Pharaoh was not prepared. In light of such event, in light of witnessing this burning bush, Moses quakes with excuses. Me? To Pharaoh? They will not believe this. How do I even know what your name is? What would it take for the holy power that is on the loose that would interrupt such coercive economics. The divine response is a large public miracle of dismantling an economy that abuses these Hebrew slaves. God liberates the captives and flees with them. Yes, God flees with the captives into the wilderness. This union is the event of Exodus. It is our heritage and it is our story. It is the new thing that Isaiah is proclaiming to the world. The liberation by God is grounded in the oncoming of an alternative reality that witnesses to the suffering of the disenfranchised. So Union, you might be wondering why I'm talking about the event of Exodus in the season of Lent. When God instructs Isaiah to tell the Israelites held in captivity and exile, he tells them, I am the one who makes way in the sea a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horses army and warrior, they lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished and quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. I think when Isaiah is talking about the former things and considering the things of old, I think that Isaiah is not simply referring to things of the past, but rather, do not consider the coercive systems that abuse you as acceptable. Isaiah is saying, do not normalize abusive systems that take our very breath in exchange for economic gain. I am doing a new thing. The experience of Exodus is not simply an event of the past. The spirit and the event of Exodus is alive and well with us today. In the spirit, we remember. Isaiah is caring for his community in the wilderness, remembering upon the experience of the Exodus. Yet, In the wilderness, hope for God's justice and restoration can feel distant if we forget who we are and whose we are. To remember is to call into being an alternative reality that runs counter to a despairing world, a world in which certain narratives are silenced. And if we forget the events of Exodus, we forget the bold midwives who defied Pharaoh. We forget 
We live in a world with no burning bush, no holy intrusion, no push towards liberation. And if we forget the events of Exodus, we are succumbed to an anxiety and self-doubt, wondering if we will ever be bold enough to ask for God's name in order to evoke miracles and systematic change. If we forget Moses and Aaron's challenge to Pharaoh, we become complicit in a political, religious stagnation. Forget, and you will be a society that regards impossible and cruel brick-breaking quotas as normal and not problematic, fixed, fixed on production without meaning or possibility, a living for that which does not satisfy. Forget, in every moment you breathe, you're reminded that you need to build another brick. Forget, and you'll be unable to imagine an alternative way of being. Yet, Union, we do not forget. We are the community longing after God, inheriting a rich tradition of God doing many, many, many exoduses. The exodus narrative does not simply just happen. The event of exodus is continually happening. We remember the bold midwives who defined Pharaoh. We remember the burning bush, the holy intrusion, the push towards liberation. We remember invoking the power of God to bring about miracles and systematic change. We remember to counter political and religious stagnation from certain institutions. Certain institutions that may say LGBTQ bodies are not to be embraced and championed. We remember to end the endless brick building quota to adopt a wage in which all bodies are able to experience life free from the imprisonment of debt. We remember an alternative way of living that sustains us and provides us hope. Ultimately, union, we remember to breathe. As we read the text of Isaiah 43, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and make rivers in the desert. The new thing that God is about to do, the new thing that God is always about to do, is a new exodus. God has done many exoduses and will continually to do more. The world is the drama of the exodus because God's holy power is on loose. A holy power that generates a new imagination and a new community that breaks us from the stagnation of contemporary complacency. The very God of the Exodus calls us by name in the very first verse of Isaiah 43. This God, the God of liberation, is the one who claims us as a child, one who is truly beloved. Yes, I say to you, Union, that in this time of trials and hardship, amidst wandering through a season of Lent, it is critical that one remembers who they are and whose they are and where they have come from. As we, as the community of God, are longing are wandering in the wilderness. When Jesus says to the corpse of Lazarus, Lazarus, come out, Jesus is speaking and proclaiming a new thing. Jesus is asking Lazarus to breathe again. Jesus is moving towards the crucifixion in John, and he's revealing that the powers of death are insufficient compared to the goodness of who God is. As the Isaiah in exile is seeking to provide hope to a broken and disenfranchised community, the Lord God calls upon those in exile to turn away from the abusive social structures that, and breathe life to those around them. To imagine a world that's not defined by bricks, what one produces, but rather to imagine a world as a continual exodus, a continuation of the same God who sustained us as we wander through the wilderness with no guarantees or safety. In the present space of Lent, 
union, we are in the wilderness. As the body of Christ is being hurled towards Good Friday, the Isaiah in exile cries to us to remember that God is doing a new thing. To change a pace. Ancient rabbis had many commentaries, interpretations of God who admits the struggle and hardship. One ancient rabbi even identifies that the very name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, is spelled with letters that are technically unpronounceable. All these letters that you see behind me are technically silent. These letters, the Yod, the He, the Vav, and the He, that spell out Yahweh, do not actually make sense phonetically. And in fact, ancient rabbis understood that the very name of God, the very name of God that was given on a mountain in the wilderness amidst the people who are wandering, the very name of God is actually just the intimate sound of our very breath. To those who are wandering in the wilderness, we know that the very name of God is intimately sustaining our very breath. So as we conclude this sermon, we will breathe the name of God three times. The yod is the inward breath, the he is the outward breath, the vav is the inward breath, and the final he is the outward breath. It is helpful in this space to have your feet firmly planted, to stand a little, or sit a little upright, open your shoulders, open your arms, and let us breathe in together. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about Union Church, please visit unionboston.org.